times like this, we are constrained to preach as much as possible because God's people everywhere need the word. And there are two parts of the word. One is doctrine. People need to know what is right and what is wrong. Why is the crisis in the West? Why is the crisis in America? Because the young people were never taught doctrine. What is right and what is wrong? So in the universities and schools, when they were facing hostile anti-God ideas, they did not know an answer, how to refute it, how you refute it. I, I do not know the the preamble to the American Constitution, but uh, it's interesting with this one word that caught me. Yeah, that one. If we could put it up, I want to read it, because people do not understand what the Constitution, because there are two books which are important. There are two books which are very important in any nation. One is the Word of God, which is above every other book, because he has exalted his word above his all his name. The second, all men are created equal, they are endowed by their creator. The very Constitution say that you can teach creationism in the in the schools, and they took it out. The very Constitution gives you the right to teach creation. Your very just not the Bible. Your constitution gives you the divine right, your constitutional right, but they have taken it out of schools. You cannot teach, you can only teach evolution, but your constitution says you can, because otherwise you are not created and you do not have a creator. Fundamental line in your constitution. And the Supreme Court trampled upon the constitution when they said you cannot teach it. The Supreme Court, which was supposed to uphold the Constitution. And that's what's happening. The thing caught my eyes and I saying, you know what? And the next thing, creator with inalienable rights that among these are life. It's not liberty, it's life. First is life, then is liberty. Because when the woman asks to abort her body, she's, she's talking about liberty. But before liberty comes life. Okay, you scrambled up on that too. The right of the child to live comes first before the liberty of the woman to abort it. Life is first, because if you do not have life, you do not have liberty. It's there all in your constitution, but warped people have sat on those benches and they have messed up their nation. You don't allow to talk about the creator, you don't allow to teach creation, you're not allowed to, you're allowed to kill your babies and you see the mess. That's why doctrine has to be taught. People have to be taught. You know, people have to be taught, what does the word of God say and what are your rights? Even in this country, you look at our constitution, the constitution is being trampled left and right. The constitution gives, but there's nobody to question, because there is nobody to stand up for your rights. So we have to look at it, and that's where, you see when the American War of Independence took place, the war was won by a small group of, motley group of people, basically farmers and all, come together against the world's most powerful empire, that is the British Empire, on which the sun never set. That's how they set it, extended practically across the globe. They defeated it because the cause was right. The cause was right. Okay, And a set of people came together. But it was not an easy war. For most of the time, it looked as if they would lose. Who kept them on moving to fight, you know? You ask George Washington and the leaders, they will say it was the Black Robe Regiment. You know who they were? The preachers. They kept encouraging, if the cost is right, don't give up. Don't give up. The pulpit never failed during the War of Independence. It never failed. The pulpit never failed. They kept on encouraging them. This is your liberty, the freedom to worship. And no crown can take it away.
Okay. So we need to understand what we are fighting for. We have to encourage the people, okay, now to, no, stand there, stand firm. Do not let wicked and evil people trample upon you, right? That's why you are studying six days a week, seven days a week, Monday and Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. We will do contextual studies from Nehemiah and Judges. Wednesday, Sunday and Saturday, we'll give it for topical studies so that people, God's people should not have an excuse they did not know. What was their divine right and what is your constitutional rights? And you do not allow wicked people because this is where people go wrong. If you go to first Peter chapter two, verse thirteen and to thirteen to fifteen, the pastors crumble under this because they do not understand what scripture is talking. Therefore submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him. Okay? Now look at it. This is why they say, oh, we have to listen to what the every government says. But let governments or governors who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do good. So what happens if the governor is doing evil and trying to suppress the people who are trying to do good? You look at what the Bible is talking about. God has put authorities to punish the evildoers. And to praise the ones who do good, not the other way around. That's why when the authority told Peter and John, you cannot preach, they said, we'll not listen to you. You are supposed to enable our preaching, not oppose our preaching. We will not. Okay, so there are fundamental, you know, people misread the Bible, understand the foundation of government. Purpose of government is for righteousness. What happens when a government becomes unrighteous? Unrighteous. Okay. When we pray, it is a clash of government. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What is it meaning? For righteousness, for justice. We don't go into a civil war or not, but we pray. We pray. We pray. Because all it takes in a democracy for it to become righteous is a set of people rise up who become righteous. And when the righteousness increases, systems will topple. System will topple. System will topple. And that's what we need to realize. That's the purpose of the pulpit. It's not to form in civil unrest or anything. It's to make people righteous. People righteous. And when people know their rights and they become righteous, when they go to the polling booth, they will make the right decisions. It's not about bread and butter. It's about liberty. It's about worship. It's about life. It's about liberty. Okay? Because it doesn't matter what you have without liberty. It doesn't make any sense. So this morning, as we go to the Word of God, understand why we gather, why we study, why we encourage. There's a whole, I mean, uh, we have more people listening us on a weekday than many churches have on a Sunday. So why should we stop preaching? Why should we stop preaching? Now people to listen, happily willing, listen. You know, they listen. Okay, and so we are good, we are good. Okay, so we'll just thank God. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. We pray, Lord, you reach out and touch us and touch all, Lord, who are listening and all who are in need, especially, Lord, we come with Brother David, Lord. Pray that you would touch him. You would heal him. You would strengthen him. Oh, Father, we believe. We believe, Lord, you are able, more than able to do a miracle, Lord. All in the body of Christ, everywhere, Lord. You know their struggles, but they have handed over their bodies to you as a living sacrifice, Lord. And your word promises us, if the body is for the Lord, the Lord is for the body. 
And every church that has surrendered and committed itself to the Lord, the Lord is for that body. And therefore we will prevail, not because we are strong, but the Lord of hosts is with us. We will prevail. and We just keep surrendering ourselves back over and over and over as a church and all our churches to you, Lord. And we stand on your promise. The body is for the Lord. The Lord is for the body. Thank you, Father. Speak to us, teach us once again, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So we were at Nehemiah chapter 4. Remember Nehemiah chapter 4? We were looking at it. For me, Nehemiah chapter 4 is one of those very important chapters in the book of Nehemiah. One of the most important chapters is Nehemiah chapter 4. Because it's how we will handle pressure. Okay, three, just a sum up of what happened, but real pressure you see in four. And that's what you see out in the Christian world, under pressure, people just buckling under pressure. Big names, big names, which I read, Max Lucado, who came outside, uh, and uh, last week, um, I got Max Lucado all over my library, and I used to read him, I used to go and buy his books, and uh, he made comments about... Uh, homosexual marriages and all, and last week he was apologizing for hurting their sentiments. Do you have to apologize to somebody for what is God's word says? You don't have to apologize. If Dr. Richard is over here, if a patient comes and he diagnoses and says you got cancer, should he apologize? We don't hate the, the gay community. We don't hate, we love them. But if we don't want them, we'll be responsible. You'll be responsible. We want, we have to warn them. Okay, your lifestyle will take you down to hell. God doesn't approve of that lifestyle. We understand your struggles, but there is a savior who can save you and bring you out. Okay? And you hate me because of telling the truth. It's fine, but we still love you. But we cannot condone, we cannot accept what you are doing as a norm. It is not a norm, it's abnormal. It is not a norm because a bill has come to the U.S. Congress and if it is passed, now the Christian agencies and all, it's called civil whatever rights, whatever bills it will pass, then the Christian agencies all will have to accept gay and transgender people as employees. You cannot discriminate. Now imagine running a Christian organization and these people apply and you have to take them in. It goes basically against the entire purpose you started something. Christian adoption agency cannot discriminate gay couples or transgenders from adopting your children. Now, this is the issue. This is the issue. Why? Because people did not teach. Okay, there are two sides. One is doctrine. The other is faith. Doctrine is what is right, what is wrong. But that is not enough. Faith is where you appropriate the power of God to stand there strong in the midst of your crisis. If you don't, if you have doctrine, if you don't have faith, you will still fall. You need faith. Faith taps into the grace of God. And the grace of God is the power of God to stand. So you will see this. It takes one man of faith. There are many men of doctrine. There one man of faith rises called Nehemiah. He rises and it is his faith that he builds up the whole thing. And he has to keep constantly encouraging the people. Because very fast they give up and they look at the odds against them. Like yesterday the Supreme Court threw out all the cases. But it doesn't matter. Our justice, I mean, I didn't put trust in the Supreme Court at all. Don't put trust in the system at all. Because the system is rigged. 
You don't trust the system. You know who controls the system. The world Bible is very clear. The entire world lies under the sway of, of the wicked one. We don't trust the system. We are now, we're not putting, not that we don't trust the system, we're not putting our trust in the system. We are putting our trust in the name of the Lord. We are trust in the arm of the Lord. It is his right hand that if it's the Supreme Court that brings restoration, then the glory will belong to man. When this happens, glory will belong to God. It will not. If Moses had built a fleet of boats and taken the people across, the glory would have belonged to Moses. The glory belonged to God. No nation will ever forget how Israel crossed. They crossed by the divine hand of God. And when stuff happens, even in our personal lives, when God opens the door, you and I will know God opened that door. This had nothing to do with me. I just had to stand there and see the deliverance of the Lord. So even the building of the wall under the unbelievable Lord, yes, people put their hand in it, but it was unbelievably the hand of God. 52 days, it was over. Things that could not have, hadn't been done for years and years. It's not just a new construction. It is created, taking all the rubble and the rubbish out against hostile forces from three sides. If you look at the people who are against them, are literally the same situation which Israel is facing today. You go back and look at the people who are opposing Nehemiah and look at the people who are opposing Israel today. It is the same state. Nothing has changed. And they're still built. They're still built. They still built. So there will be mockers and scoffers, ridicule, intimidation to cause no doubt and discouragement. Okay. And you know what happened when that happened? People just give up. People just give up. And when that still does not stop you, then comes the threat of actual physical attack. We saw that in verse 7 and 8 and 9. They threaten that, no? Threaten. Okay, when they heard they be restored, they were very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. But what is the response? The response is prayer. Nehemiah, okay. Nevertheless, the first response is always prayer. First response is always prayer. Then we set watch. First is the spiritual, then is the physical. They prayed and they set watch. You have to do both. Watch and pray. Pray and watch. Day and night. Then of course we saw in verse 10, the naysayers came. Okay, they will be always there. Too much rubbish. Strength is waning. Too much. This is too much. Not too much. And honestly, if you look at the practical level, no, when we do, do, we deal with individuals, individuals who are struggling with an addiction or whatever. This is too much. I'm just giving up. Or you, Talk to couples who are fighting, either it's a man or the woman. One of them says, I'm just giving up. It's too much. I can't fight it. It's too much junk in my past. Too much junk in our marriage. It's no hope. Too much rubble. Too much rubbish. Too much rubbish. They just give up hope. But you cannot give up hope. Where there is no hope, the spirit dries up. Because as long as there is life and as long the Lord of the life is there, there is always hope. Is that's 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 one of the fundamental things he did with Lazarus. That's why he did not go when he heard Lazarus was sick, and when Lazarus was dead, he went four days over. And Mary had and Martha had a hope, but it said, "If you had been here, this would have been said." He said, "I am the resurrection. It's dead, gone, buried, four days old, stinking. It's it's finished. It's stinking." And he said, "If you believe, you will still see the glory of God. Still believe." That's the word of God. The word of God has to constantly go forward encouraging people, don't 
give up. Don't give up. It's not over in your life. It's not over in your home. It's not over with your children. It's not over with your church. It's not over with your ministry. Who said it is over? Who said it is over? God didn't say it is over. When God says it is over, it is over. Pack your bag and ready to go home happily. Like Peter says, ready to put off my tent. You know? And fear mongers will come in verse 11 and say, those who lived near them, right? They, yeah, not 11, yeah. Till we come and kill them, cause the work to cease. And they will come and say, 10 times, Jews who lived near them told us 10 times. Not one times, perfect. 10 times they came and said the key is that it doesn't matter. There is mock, mockery, ridicule, scoffers, threat of physical violence, and the camp itself has spread into discouragement. The leader has to stand firm. Leader has to stand firm. The leader quits, everybody will quit. So Second World War was won by a few men who refused to quit. Okay, Even when they were quitting, Meaning, it was a temporary retreat. If you know, the Japanese swept through, came all the way. They almost came to the edge of India. They, they got into Burma. They came into India too, at the Assamese, that part. They took Philippines. And when they took Philippines, the American army had to retreat. And General Douglas MacArthur was in charge of the Pacific Command. And his words were said, I am leaving, but I will return. It's a strategic retreat. I am leaving, but I will return. And he returned. And America and Japan surrendered, ultimately, under his command. Okay, so you need to realize, if you quit, the war is over. And that's exactly the purpose of intimidation, that we will quit fighting. Because the devil knows, if we know our truth, that we cannot be defeated. We will fight. That God can save with few or many, that the God in us has never lost a battle. He cannot lose a battle. The one in us is greater than he who is in the world. He creates this. So the whole purpose of intimidation and all these threats, even the physical attacks, is to cause us to quit. And God says, don't quit. Don't quit. So we will see, both in verse 4 and 5 and in verse 9, the response is prayer. The response is prayer. He says, hear a God. The response of a leader, a true leader is always, you know, all of them are praying men. George Washington, all of them are praying men. They were all praying men, if you look at them. The founding leaders of America, very, very, very praying men. I remember reading an incident, I think it happened during that war in New York. And the British columnists approaching. And the Union Army, the, the American the freedom fighters were very badly outnumbered and uh, somebody was looking for Washington to let him know that we are badly outnumbered the troops that are coming and they couldn't find him and then they searched in the forest they found him he was on his knees praying to the Lord to intervene and the Lord intervened and they lost okay those were the kind of leaders they had no kind of leader even for us okay we're not a Christian nation but Gandhi was a spiritual leader Oh boy, he would call it fast and the whole country used to f- come to a standstill. Come to a standstill. He understood the power. He did not know the real living God, but he understood the, the principle of righteousness of fasting and praying and how to use civil disobedience as a movement to throw tyrants out. I believe America will have to come to that point where the people will have to stand up and like they said, no taxation without representation. You're gonna rule us against our wishes. We refuse to pay taxes. We refuse to obey your laws. What can you do? 
75 million voted for one said, what are you going to do? We're going to open our churches, we're going to worship, you're going to put all of us in jail, your jail will not have enough room. What are you going to do? A nation will have to rise like that, enough is enough. You don't have to pick up one stick, all you have to stand and say, we refuse to obey. That's what happened in India, that's what's called the civil disobedience, without violence. Ultimately, nations will have to arise and say, you know what, unjust rules and laws which are against the constitution, against the will of the people has to be opposed. Have to be opposed. Not violence. I'm not talking about violence. I'm talking about non-violence. Because the kingdom of God advances on that. We have power being given in prayer, in appealing to God and building the walls of our salvation. Because any man who kneels before God can stand before any man and resist any devil. And you will see in crisis after that, he arose, he addressed their fears and reminded them of the goodness and the greatness of God. He said, fight for your homes, your wives, your children, your brethren, fight. And he placed them strategically in front of their own homes so that when they are building the wall, when they look back, they see their children. I know what I'm fighting for. I know what I'm standing for. This is what I'm fighting for. I'm fighting for families. I'm fighting for children. So verse 15 says, that's what we looked. Enemies did not succeed in a sneak attack and work resumed. Okay, did not. Why? That's why in the church we need the spirit of discernment and the word of knowledge because the devil is good at sneak attacks. And our God will give us, like Elisha was, always was able to warn the children, king of Israel. This fellow is planning this, this fellow is planning that. We need that, the spirit of discernment and the word of knowledge. Okay. So there are funded, that's why I said Nehemiah chapter 4 is a very, very, very crucial chapter, even in our own times. It's a very crucial chapter. Because what happens? As long as one lives with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And we start living according to the values of the world and the same goals as of the world. Satan won't trouble you. You go to church, you sing, pray, and listen to a soothing sermon about how to use God for personal success. Satan won't bother you. The world also wants that. But the minute you wake up, from your spiritual lethargy and shake off the mindset of the world and commit yourself to radical obedience, you will also face radical opposition. As long as you don't do what the devil doesn't want you to do, the devil will leave you alone. He has no issues with worship services. He enjoys them. He has no issues with them. He, has no, he likes music. He says, I love, I attend because I, I miss music. In heaven, I was the least to this thing. I have no issues with that. Okay. And he says, if you look in Genesis chapter 3, he says, I was the first preacher. I like preaching too. Okay. So whether it is an individual or a church, he will come back at us with radical opposition when we shake off that lethargy and say, you know what? Both my feet is going to be in the Lord's camp. And I'm rising up to do what he wants me to do, you will face opposition. And we need to be prepared for it. And the answer to that is Nehemiah 4. Okay. Then we will have real restoration and revival. Okay. Because revival 
restoration is not easy. It is not sing a song and build the wall and hang the gates. <laughs> that was not the case. The scorn, the ridicule, the threat, the plan to attack. But you have to keep your eyes on God. The response was prayer, vigilance and work. Okay. Eternal vigilance is the price you pay for your liberty, for your freedom. Okay. That is why Nehemiah chapter 4 in times like this was one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Okay. Like I said, so many people, so many, or not so many of us, if you look back in the pressures, we were not able to do what we knew was right because of the fear of ridicule. You know, why do a lot of young people drink? Because they're not able to face the ridicule. Because all their friends drink. And they scorn them. Okay. And they want to quit. They are not able to quit because of ridicule and scorn. Drink, drugs, sex. Let's talk about honest about sex. No. I don't know about India, but I'm talking about in the context I've heard and listened. If you haven't lost your virginity by your teenage, you're good for nothing. Nobody wants you, girl. Boy, you're good for nothing. No, no girl wants you. The challenge and the ridicule and the scorn. So they are desperate. Desperate. To be included. It's the ridicule, the scorn the devil uses. And you don't have the strength to do what is right. What is right. Drinks, drugs, sex, everything flows that way. Why do people, why? Because they do not have the strength to stand. They were never taught what is right, and if they were taught right, they were not taught how to live by faith and appropriate the very power of God where you can stand all alone in a Babylonian court and say, no. Or like Joseph said, no, I will not do it. You know why? Because not only you had doctrine, you had faith. And that's what the devil uses. You know? And then when you fall, you are trapped by the same world which caused you to fall, who set you up by saying, you're all hypocrites. You're all hypocrites. Now what you happen, you want to quit. You want to quit the work of God because you know you cannot handle that scorn at all. You're all hypocrites. You're all hypocrites. You're all hypocrites. You're all hypocrites. If you don't understand what is happening in Nehemiah 4, happens every day in the life of those who try to walk with God. It's either the scorn, the ridicule, the names they call you and they will tar you, but you have to stand there firm without buckling. Because this is not just scripture. This is not just history. This is scripture where God will teach us. And in verse 4 and 5, okay. Hear a God for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads. Give them as plunder to a life. We read this land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out before them before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. When you read this, okay, if you look at what Nehemiah is doing, it's what kind of a prayer is he <laughs> praying, right? New covenant people say what? But he's taking it to the Lord. He's not retaliating. He's only defending his stuff. He's not attacking them. They are attacking him and he's defending. But he's taking his real issue to the Lord. Okay, it's true to the Lord. He's not attacking them. Okay, he's not attacking them. He's not taking, let us march today and burn down their houses. He's not doing any of those things. He's taking the issue, a real issue to the Lord in prayer. Okay, and that's, that's a pattern which God teaches us. And people would say this is strange prayer. 
whatever happened to love and forgiveness. <laughs> but you need to understand, Nehemiah is a leader, a duly appointed leader with power and authority from the king to rebuild the wall. Understand that. He's got permission from the king, divine leading from God. It's a prayer trying to handle the problem of satanic opposition on earth. And you need to realize, when you have been given a, what you call a duty by God or by power, by authority, the first task of government is not mercy. It is justice. It's not mercy. It's justice. And as a government leader, in that picture of Judah, as a government leader, he's not pleading for mercy, he's pleading for justice. You commissioned me to do a work, and there are adversaries who are opposing your work, and they're opposing you, because I'm doing your work. If I had come here for some other reason other than this, they would have welcomed me, and they would have said, oh, Nehemiah has come with the king's troops from Babylon, the emperor's envoy has come. But when they knew what he had come for, then they opposed him. Okay? So he's not, we need to understand the, the context in which his prayer is, because the first duty of government is not mercy, it is justice. It's not mercy, it is justice. And when justice is denied, the government has failed. The government has failed. Justice is denied. Government has failed. And that's basically what is happening. Okay. Mercy is appropriate when it is a personal thing. It's a personal thing. But government, it's a different thing. It's a different thing. It's justice. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, it is not a cry for mercy. Forgive your trespasses even as they, okay? That's a trespasser. That's a personal thing. But before that is a cry for justice. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's a government of justice and of righteousness. For the scepter of his kingdom is the scepter of justice or righteousness. And after that, personally, Lord, I forgive everybody who has sinned against me. But your justice will come. I am not taking justice in my hand. But ultimately your justice will come upon me and everybody. So I pray for justice and I extend mercy. It is not one at the cost of the other. One is personal, the other is governmental. So we need to understand what Nehemiah is doing because people get confused when they read these things. And the problem is we need to realize when we step out, like Peter and John stepped out, the apostles stepped out, the king of kings and the lord of lords first makes a statement. And that statement is important when he gives the great commission in Matthew. He first makes a statement. It is not go. Yes, that is the statement on which we stand. People may not accept it. People may be mad at it. But the problem is 18. Yeah, 28, 18. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's why we go. And that's why for 2,000 years, the apostles and the preachers have defied governments and dispensations and the laws. Because the law, there's a law above every other law. 
And that is what he has spoken, which is called the word of God. And he has exalted his word above every, his own name and every other name. And we have been told to go. And when we have been told to go, doesn't matter which nation bans it. The church goes underground and continues preaching. Doesn't stop preaching. Does not stop preaching. Its methods just change. It never changes. Never has the gospel stopped preaching in any nation where it has reached. It has continued. It just went hidden. It continues. It becomes a different movement altogether because there is somebody who has authority over every power ruler on earth. So, so there is satanic opposition and that opposition is real. And they never stopped. You, If you look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 onwards, you will see yeah, okay. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the river. Why was this thing? To stop sharing, preaching. But what does the word of God say? Those who were scattered, what does it say if you go further down? Yeah, yeah, it's four or five. Just go down. And those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. You could persecute them, you could take their houses off, you could do everything, but they never stopped preaching. And why were they persecuted? For preaching. And when they scattered, what did they do? They continued preaching. That will never stop. Because that has been given to us by a higher authority. The preaching and the building of the walls of salvation, that will continue unabated till the hour Jesus comes. Because he gave us a command, occupy till I come. So satanic opposition is real. When Nehemiah started building the wall, only the opposition came. Opposition came. That you actually realized, okay? I mean, if you look at the American context, it's only when he started rebuilding America. And rebuilding, going back, let's make America great again. Let's think about America first. I mean, that's what we would expect. We would expect Prime Minister Modi to think that's what he's also saying. India first, make in India. And nobody has an issue with it. Nobody, no India is saying, no India, no, no, make in China first. Nobody is saying, we also say, make in India first. Every national leader should put his nation first. That's what you were elected for. But when he said make America first, that's when all the problem comes. And one of the things he said, we need to build a wall because people are coming in. And we are not stopping immigration, but come through the line. Don't jump over the wall. We understand in the context of a house, but we oppose in the now. The walls are coming down, gates are being opened, people, vehicles are being sent across the border to bring them in. All kind of things. Everybody were blocked in from coming in and flying in because of pandemic. But if these people are allowed to come in, no check, no uh, pandemic uh, protocols, nothing. And vaccination is given to them first before the Americans say, all kind of crazy things are happening. And they're not even uh, hiding about it. It's like they're thumbing the nose of the whole nation. But when he started rebuilding, it's when the opposition rose. As long in this, it's in a national context or in a personal context. You will, the day you get baptized, your struggle begins. As long as you believe and keep quiet about it and you don't get baptized and you don't start witnessing, you don't face much trouble. <laughs> the minute you get baptized, then the devil knows, oh, now you belong to Christ. Huh? You died to your flesh. I will show you. I will show you opposition rise from within your family, within your household, flesh and blood, all those things. See, as long as uh, uh, Joseph was not a goody-goody boy, there would have been no problem. The day he decided to take the side of his father against his brothers, all trouble broke loose. 
The second day when he got a dream and the others did not get trouble broke loose. In Potiphar's palace, everybody loved him because prosperity was flowing left and right. But the day he refused to submit his knee to the voice of sin, trouble broke loose. Okay, you need to realize how opposition comes. Satanic opposition is real. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9, we look at it. For a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. We want effective doors without, we will pray that also, which is not the door that he opens, no man will shut, which is true. But when he goes through the door, you will see a plethora of adversaries waiting there with, armed with spears, javelins, you know, and dressed like Goliath and looking like Goliath. All the giants are on the other side of the door. Lord, what is this? He opened door. I said, now you go through them. Bring a few of them down too. We want easy doors. God says, in easy doors you will never grow. You will never grow. For a great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many, many adversaries. So when Nehemiah is praying, he is not judging. He is asking God to judge those who are opposing God's plan. And we pray, arise to God, and let my, no, your enemies be scattered. Not my enemies. Your enemies be scattered. Look at how. We look in the New Testament context because sometimes people don't understand why we pray like this. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 20. Of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. But these are two people in the church. And using his apostle authority not to rescue, but to hand them over. So I delivered them to Satan. The protective cover of the church I'm taking over, out, and releasing them into the powers of darkness so that they will learn not to blaspheme. You know, now what would you call Paul? What a cruel man. Where is your mercy, tenderness, milk of human kindness is also not there, as Shakespeare will say. But this is war. This is what, these are people who oppose the gospel from within the church. Within the church. You know, within the church. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. So we understand what Nehemiah, Alexander, that fellow comes up again. Now his profession is also given. Coppersmith. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. So what are his works? Evil. How should God repay him? According to his evil work. You know why? Because Paul's work was the work of the Lord. He was opposing your work, O Lord. So Lord, deal with him according. So what Nehemiah is asking? So what Nehemiah is asking, Paul is all asking. So Old Testament and New Testament meet together. God's adversaries are my adversaries. They are not my friends. They are not my friends. Okay? They are not my friends. They are my adversaries. God's adversaries. He's just praying. You also must be beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. That's what's happening with Nehemiah, Sanbala, Tobiah, Geshem are all resisting his words. Though he has letters and he's been given permission to build, they are creating all kinds of wicked plans to stop the construction. So, you have to pray. You and I have to pray. We have to identify our adversary and we have to focus. And don't lose focus, because if you lose focus, you will give up construction construction and do not listen 
to the lie. If you look in verse 3 of chapter 4, do not listen to the lies of the enemy and waste time responding to it. Okay? Tobias said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes upon it, he will break down their stone wall. I mean, it's a fact and there is fiction. Fiction is if a fox goes, your wall will come down. Fact, it was around nine feet wide. An entire company could walk over that wall. You think about a nine feet wall. I mean, it's probably from here. This, this is how, probably how wide the wall is. As wide as this room, the wall they're building is not a small little wall on our boundary. If you push nicely, that will fall. It's a nine feet or more wide wall. You know what a fellow is saying? A fox will bring it down. Is it true? Do you have to respond to this fellow? No. We have to be learned. We have to be very, very careful about what to respond to and what not to respond to. You'll waste your time responding to fools like this. A fox will. Don't waste your time. Just leave it alone. Because it is not true. It is a lie. And then, there is much rubble refuse which has to be accepted. Especially if you have come late in your life to the Lord. There was much refuse and rubble accumulated in your life. Or you came but you dedicated yourself only much later. You accumulated a lot of garbage. If people write junk comments on YouTube, just block them off. Okay, A lot, a lot of crazy people are coming in. And trying to, okay? So, and Sundays also be careful. There was somebody trying to know. There is much rubble, um, refuse in our lives. And God has an answer to that. It has to be taken out. Please understand why we are going back to Nehemiah 4. You cannot rebuild your life, your walls on a pile of rubble. You can cover it. And try to build on it, it will fall. Zechariah chapter 4, 1 to 7 is the solution. It's connected with this context, because these are all the remnant people. Four. Now the angel who ah, talked with me came back and wakened me, and as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I see, I said, I am looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and one at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked to him, saying, What are these, my Lord? And what did he say? And the angel who talked with me and answered said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of us. So he sees something over there. He sees this bowl and he sees pipes and he sees these two trees. What does it symbolize? It symbolizes the spirit of God. A continuous flow of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He says when that happens, you know what will happen? It is not by might. It's not by power. It is by my spirit, says the Lord. And what happens? Who are you, O great mountain? What is this great mountain? This mountain of rubble and rubbish and pile in your life. If there is a continuous flow of the Holy Spirit, you learned how to walk in the Spirit, you will be able to get rid of all the garbage and the junk in your life and you will be able to build the walls of salvation. So what is the problem over there? The solution is given at around the same time to, to Zerubbabel through the prophet Zechariah. There's no other way. It's not by might. It's not by. That's what I said. There is doctrine and there is faith. 
And by faith we stand in the grace of God. And he tells Paul, my grace is sufficient. Grace is sufficient. We have to learn to live by faith. That's why the two trees are there. Because olive oil is flowing in and the lamps are shining. Okay, The constant flow of the oil has to be there. A continuous flow of the power of the Holy Spirit. So there are two things over there. One is the power of God. The second is the presence of God. Go to verse 8 and 10. 8 to 10. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hand shall also finish this. But remember, the power is of God. The presence is of God. The hands are yours. You cannot sit back and say, God will do it. God says, no. I'll give you power. My presence will go with you. Right? But you have to do the work. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hands of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord. What is God saying? You will have divine guidance and you will have divine protection and you will have divine power. You will have it. Satanic opposition will be there, but it will be the hands of man who will build it. You will face satanic opposition. But you will never overcome the satanic adversaries you have without a continuous inflow of the power of the Holy Spirit and continuous guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's the plumb line. One are the two olive trees from where the oil is flowing and the lamp is burning. The other is the plumb line. What is the plumb line? The plumb line are the seven. Seven eyes, the Bible says, yeah, eight, nine, and ten. No, what is it? The hands of Zerubbabel have laid this. They will also finish it. But what does it say in verse 10? Who has despised the day of small things? When you came to begin to work, it looked like it is impossible. Right? He got a few people and his encouraged them and started to moving the rubbish. It looked like, hey, what are you talking about? Nothing is going to happen over here. But 52 days later, it was over. Not as a rubble removed, the walls were built. And the gates were hung. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Don't despise the day. For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. What is a plumb line? How you are constructing the wall. In order. Okay? In order. It is according to the word and the ways of God. You are building the walls of salvation. What, why does a, what does a mason use the plumb line? Just to see whether it is right or wrong. When that plumb line falls straight, he knows the wall is straight. So there is Nehemiah building, and there is Zerubbabel with the plumb line, and there is the prophet Zachariah through the word of God is coming. It's all working in unison. And God is saying, you need it all. You need the prophetic in the church of God. You need the apostolic in the church of God. You need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Everybody has to put their hand in and don't give up. And you need the leader to keep motivating them. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't look at what is happening in the world. Stand firm and keep building. And everywhere the pattern is same. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 10. See, I have set this day, set you over the nations, over the kingdoms. Four things he says first, which are all negative. What is that? Root out, pull down, destroy, throw down. Then to build and to plant. The first is fourth thing. What is that? Taking the garbage out, the rubble and the refuse out. Pull down, root down, destroy, throw down. Once you have done all that, then start building and to plant. So whether it is Jeremiah, whether it is Nehemiah, whether it is Zerubbabel, God's ways are the same. 
It does not change. And then, if you go to verse 6 of chapter 4. Four six. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined up together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. If you remember 2.18, Nehemiah 2.18, when we started, okay? When we started, you know, he came, he encouraged them, he pepped them up with pep talk, a genuine spiritual pep talk. I told them of the hand of the Lord which had been good upon me and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to this good work and they had a mind to work and the wall came halfway. And after that, people start saying, the rubbish is too much, the rubble is too much, we are losing our strength. Whenever you reach halfway, be careful. If you ask marathon runners, they ask which is the most difficult part, they will say halfway. After halfway, you have to motivate yourself to finish. Okay, halfway is the most difficult part. So we have to be very, very careful because you may start with great enthusiasm. But when you reach halfway, okay, please be very, very careful about this. Why? Whether it is a personal life or whether it is a marriage or a career, it is when people kind of reach halfway mark. We will call it midlife crisis. Okay. It's half. Everybody begins their spiritual life. Their marriages with great enthusiasm. Kya baat love birds only. Then, after some time, you know, it just starts cooling off. But those are the times you have to be the most careful. Halfway mark. Halfway mark is the dangerous mark. That is when you will start hearing lots of voices. The voices you will start hearing. Oh, it's too tired, you know. Oh, church is too long. Worship is boring. Sermon doesn't motivate me. You know what? The problem is you're reaching that place in life called halfway mark. Be very, very careful. Lost of people in life have messed up when they reached halfway mark. They give up. Be very, very careful. Because the initial fire and the enthusiasm wears off. Because Christian life is a marathon. It's a race of endurance. It is not about speed. The fact that they finish in 52 days is another matter. But nothing has finished in life in 52 days other than Nehemiah's wall. That was divine guidance and divine provision only simply because he set a date and God honored him. The king asked, when will you come back? He says, this date. God said, okay, you set it, I'll finish it within that date. You have duty over here, you will finish within that date and you can go back. But don't think life is 52 days only. 52 weeks, but 52 weeks and 52 weeks. <laughs> okay? Like we reset, no? Our, what you call that, that stopwatch, stop no? Okay? January 31st, what do we do? Reset the next 52 days. 52 weeks. You have to do it. Otherwise, you will what happened? Your life will fall apart. Your marriage will fall apart. Home will fall apart. You know, people, and you have, you need somebody in your life who will speak to you and says, don't give up. God, you say, Lord, send me somebody who will come and speak to me and says, don't give up on my life. Don't give up on your career. Don't give up on your ministry. Don't give up. A lot of people just, just walk away. Just walk away. Just, just, we're not talking about pastors. A lot of people just walk away. I, I hear about people just 
walking away from their homes. You do whatever you want. I can take all the property also. I'm not interested anymore. I'm going. Just walk away. And they forget their covenant. They forget everything they built their lives on, homes on, children. They just walk away like that. When everything was just halfway. And halfway is not, makes, doesn't make any difference. You're not protecting anything. You're not stopping anybody. You're only making it a little difficult for them to come over. And we have to be very, very careful. Because when walk with God, walk with your spouse, walk with your children, walk with the beliefs, fellow believers in the church of, in the God's house, starts becoming monotonous. Okay, there's something called monotony in life, but it is necessary. <laughs> what happens is that now you are no longer able to see the stars in the sky. All you are able to see is the pile of rubbish. Be careful. You have to see the finished product. You have to see a finished product. You have to see, you know, one day this is how my child will be. My son will be this. My daughters will be that. My son say, you have to see the finished product. You don't see them now and say, you know what, there's no point. Leave them alone. No, you don't give up. You don't give up. Okay, you don't give up. Sometimes if the Lord comes, I mean, India is a different thing altogether, Western context. You have to see and your spouse sitting beside the fireside, old age, still strong, still serving the Lord, still having your chats. I'm not, I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. I see it's a long race. Long race. But when it gets monotonous, arise. Arise. That's when you have to spiritually arise and say, you know what? I've seen these patterns in the word of God. That's what happened to Isaac. Isaac was such a good man. All those incredible things happened to him very fast. As a teenager, he laid himself on the altar, allowed himself to be tied. Everything was raised, surrendered, waited for his father 40 years to get married. He didn't jump the gun, anything. Wife was barren, did not do anything, fasted, prayed for 20 years. Then two sons were given and then he didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to do. Life became monotonous. So he says, you know what? He prospered and he prospered and he prospered and he doesn't know anything. He's got too much. He doesn't drink, so he ate. <laughs> He's such a good boy. He says, you know what? I'm not going to be like Noah and drink. I am not going to. I, my dad told me about Noah. <laughs> <laughs> dad told me about Noah. You know what? Dad told me about Noah. You know what I'm going to do? I am not going to drink but I'm going to eat. And he really ate himself out of the house. He ate himself out of the house at the will of God. <laughs> okay. That is why the word of God says we have to stay connected to the source, the person of the Holy Spirit, arise. The two olive trees, the oil has to flow continuously. If the work has to be finished and the plumb line has to be put, and it's according to God's approval, stay connected to the Holy Spirit and keep working. If you go to verse 16 to 18, 
We had looked at 15, but I was just recapping with such an important chapter that we don't miss what God is trying to tell us. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall. You see what happened? See? They are standing guard and they are working at the same time. And where did all the leaders go? Behind? Judah. You know why? Judah is the from where complaints started. Immediately you snip it at the beginning. This is where trouble started. Go stand behind them and it does not spread into the rest of the camp. Nehemiah has learned from the learned from the wilderness journey. He had heard all this, where it started, how it spreads through all the camp. Where it's starting? It's starting with Judah. So he put all the leaders behind Judah and said, keep pepping them up. Let not discouragement pass through the camp. Stop it there itself. Encourage them, encourage them, encourage them, encourage them. And he put the leaders behind the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. That's what God is saying. You cannot take prayer and spiritual warfare out of your life. Whatever you are building, God has called. You take that out, you will still not finish your work. You will not. This is the integral part of our ministry. Whether you are building your own life, your home, your church, your ministry, career, whatever. Remember, if you are a man of God or a woman of God, you will have adversaries. Because even your secular job is a threat to the enemy. That's why the, all the enemies were plotting because they saw the rise of Daniel. And they were plotting to bring him down. And he was a man of prayer, therefore he came through. And he's not a, he's, he's not a preacher or a ministry. He's, he's got no ministry there at all. He's just a secular leader. But he's a spiritual leader in a secular white place and those guys don't want a man like that. And the king was planning to make him number two. See, Joseph was very protected. He didn't see the hand of God. Sometimes we don't understand the hand of God. I, I said, shared this testimony. The pastor in one of the African nations many years ago, he says, he said, he was arrested. A new hostile government has come and he was one of the pastors who were arrested and put in prison. And he was in prison for five years. And his family went through hell and then the regime was overthrown and new government came and he was released. And he was very, he was really upset with God asking Lord, why Lord? When he came out, he understood. During those five years when the hostile government taken, most of the Christian leaders were killed and he was protected in the prison. When he came out, he could start another way with new believers and leaders. He was protected. In the same way, God protected Joseph. You know why Joseph's entire regime was so prosperous? Because God protected him in the prison. So when he came out, he had no adversaries. He had no adversaries. Because nobody knew him. He had no adversaries. He had no adversaries like Daniel or Nehemiah. No adversaries at all. He just came out. Huh? Prisoner, next thing he's this, next day he's number two. There was nobody to stop his. So some of our terrible situations where God has hidden us in very restrictive conditions, we think, Lord, why you got this? I'm just protecting you. The day I release you, you will have no adversaries. Because nobody knows you. <laughs> nobody knows you to oppose you. Even the devil doesn't think that you are going anywhere. <laughs> the devil looks at you and says, this fellow sitting in the prison carrying Lord, he's going nowhere. He's going nowhere. 
The same thing happened with Moses. The devil ignored Moses completely. He said, that fellow is going nowhere, right? He's just like me. He's in the Pharaoh's palace. He's as Egyptian as me. He had no clue. He's a setup. It's God's setup. He had kept his man in the Pharaoh's house. And the next 40 years, this fellow is going nowhere. He's a good-for-nothing shepherd. He's totally gone. Some, sometimes God just puts you and hides you in such kind of places that you never know it is the hand of God. And you will be fighting the very things which God is using you to protect you. And at his appointed hour, when he releases you, you will realize that you are safe. That is why this trust of the Lord has to come. I trust in my God. The righteous run and hide in him. Lord, all your ways are good. They are perfect. One hand, look at that, worked at construction. And with the other hand, they held a weapon. And verse 18, as we close, every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. That's what it says. You need to have the word of God girded. Gird your loins with the truth, with the word of God. And build. And build. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. But he killed. There was a fellow whose job was to blow the trumpet. He said, you stand next to me. You stand next to me. Everybody their positions. But your position is beside me because the first sign of danger, you blow the trumpet and rally the troops. I will rally the troops. Your job is to stand by me. There is a fellow, the, the purpose of the trumpet was to rally Israel to war or a congregation. You stand beside me. You have one job. What is that? Wherever I go, you come with me. Because the minute I tell you, blow the trumpet, rally the troops. So you see, he strategically has worked out the whole thing. And we need to know our place and our position in the army of God. What am I called to do, Lord? And let me be faithful at my post. Because I know what I am fighting for. I am fighting for your cause and your kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I will not be discouraged or dissuaded by anything that happens in the world from any authority. Because ultimately we have been given the promise. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Only issue is that when that happens, when the master comes, will the servant be found faithful at his post? We already know the end. I know the end. You know the end. We all know the end. The Lord will come. He will take over. But when he comes, where will I be? Will I be at my portion of the world defending and building? Defending and building. That's a simple question. And that's where we stand. So don't give up. Watch, pray, and build. We only saw as watch and pray. But Nehemiah puts a third thing over there. Watch, pray, and build. Occupy till he comes. Come, let's pray. That's my job, to keep pepping up the troops. Don't give up. Wherever you are, stay at your post. Keep reaching, keep praising, keep praying. The Lord's kingdom will only grow. It has never shrunk in 2,000 years, and even the gates of hell will not prevail. Father, we just come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Your word says, Lord, if two of you agree on anything on earth, we are more than two, Lord. We come in unity, we come in agreement, Lord. All the purposes of God will come to pass without fail in our lives, in our churches, 
in the nations that we stand in the gap for. Your will will be done. Your purpose will come to pass and no force on earth or heaven will be able to stop it. The kingdom of God has been advancing and it is still advancing and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, Lord. For we have been given power and authority over all the power of the enemy and we exercise it in the name of Jesus. Today I come against sickness in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I command that spirit of sickness, yes. illness, Alleluia. whatever it is, oh Lord, Alleluia. whatever nature of sickness, I command it to leave right the now. body Jesus of Christ. Jesus the Jesus body name. for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Oh, command the spirit of infirmity. I take authority in the name of Jesus. I bind you, spirit of infirmity, whether it is cancer, whether it is COVID, whether it's a heart disease, it's a lung issue, it is HIV, it does not matter what it is. I command you to leave in Jesus' name. And I speak healing. And I speak wholeness into the bodies of God's people. I come against the spirit, the tormenting spirit in the minds and the hearts of God's people. Many are tormented. Many have no peace. They are oppressed in their homes, in their lives. I take authority in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I command the tormenting and spirit of oppression to leave in Jesus' name. A bind Leviathan. Yes, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Yes. You who, who, who have put a siege around God's people, especially their finances. Jesus. Through this, you control the system. Jesus. You Jesus. control the money flow. Jesus. Jesus. But our God is able to cut you. Yes. And yes. break you into in pieces. Jesus. You said in your word, Lord, who has put a hook through the Leviathan's nose and dragged him? You have, Lord. You have. You need only put a hook. You crushed him under your feet, Lord. Today we take authority and we crush the head of Leviathan who tries to squeeze your people out of their resources, O oh Lord. Oh Father. Oh Father. There's so much scarcity in the, in the lives of God's people around the world. They're being squeezed by this Leviathan, O oh Lord. This demonic entity rulers of the world are using to empty the lives of God's people. Yes, but we crush Leviathan under our feet yes, in the Lord, name yes, of Lord, Jesus. Yes, Lord, and I pray, Lord, there will be a divine release yes, yes. in the lives of your yes, people, Lord. Yes, Lord. They will experience, O oh Lord, their hard work will not go in vain, Lord. They have slaved, Lord. Your children have really slaved. They have worked hard. They have studied hard. They have done everything. But this breakthrough is always stopped, Lord. But this is the day, Lord, Israel will plunder Egypt, O oh Lord. 430 years of slavery will end and they will go out plundering the Egyptians. They will go out rich in the Lord or Master or Father. The work of their hands will not go in vain. Their labor will not be wasted. There will be plenty in their house and there will be plenty in the house of God alone. The system is trying to do because they know with them money is power. For us, our God is our power. Our God is our giver. Our God is our provision. Our God is our reward. Our God is our strength. Our God is our exceedingly great reward, O oh Lord, our shield, our fortress. Therefore, we look to you, Lord. And we can, we are able to say, Lord, my God shall supply all your need. Oh, Father, He is able in Christ Jesus. He is able, Lord. Everything that the church needs is already there in the church. Help us to see, Lord. I pray, Father, 
when Daniel was tested by the king, he was found and his friends ten times better than Thank the you, others, O Lord. Oh Lord. You, uh, Father, there's time for a divine breakthrough yes, to come into the is, believers, O oh Lord. So many believers are so talented. Yes. They have the gifts inside, but they are not able to discover it because they are so depressed yes. and discouraged, Lord. And the enemy is stealing what is rightfully your children, Lord. The enemy has invented nothing. He has discovered nothing. Mm-hmm. All that he has is what God showed him and he is giving to his people, but the time has come for God's people to see and receive a Lord. And it will change a Lord. It will be it will change a Lord. Your people will will start inventing and discovering things, O Lord. Even a completely different platform for everything, O Lord. Lord. For instead of YouTube, Lord, your children will start discovering and inventing things, O Lord. Platforms so where we can reach the ends of the world, O Lord. Companies they will start, Lord, which will flourish because they receive wisdom like Daniel and his friends, O Lord. Oh, Father, I pray, Lord. I pray, Lord. Oh, there are children sitting in churches around the world, O Lord. They're so discouraged. They do not have to go in the way of the world. They have to go in the way of the word. And our God will make them ten times better than the best in the world, O Lord. It is not Elon Musk or Bill Gates Oh Lord, these are not the people who are called, oh Lord. There are people sitting in the house of God who are called and chosen by you to bring breakthroughs which will revolutionize this world, oh Lord, oh Master. So that I will see the hand of God upon your people, oh Lord. That this siege will be broken, oh God. And the kingdom will expand until the day and the hour your son comes to take us home, oh Lord. Oh Father, then people will know, Lord, the glory belongs to God. As Nehemiah built out of practically nothing, in 52 days he built the wall and he hung the gates of Lord what looked impossible Lord two months later became possible Lord because he trusted the Lord he rose and he encouraged the people everyone put their hand into the work of the Lord and the Lord was with them and he gave them success he kept their adversaries away and they built the walls back you are the same God of Nehemiah. It is to you that we pray. Yes. It is you to we appeal, O oh Lord. You yes. will build back our lives. Yes. You will build back our homes. You will build back the yes. churches in the yes. world, O oh Lord. Yes. Even yes. the churches that have shut down, Lord, yes. I pray you will raise up new leaders and open them back, O oh Lord. Yes, the Lord. churches won't be sold to the enemies of God, O oh Lord. It will not be sold to start up some businesses, O oh Lord. Jesus. But, O oh Father, every corner of oh Father, there will be a place of worship, O Lord, where people will gather, O Lord. Extast the church in book of Acts, pray, Lord. Extend your hand with power so that with signs and wonders and healings, O Lord, this world will know Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive and is walking in the midst of his people, Lord. Lord. Let revakening take place. Let revival take place. Let sanctification take place. Let let cleansing take place. And let there be infilling of the Holy Holy Spirit Spirit. like the world has never seen before, O God. We pray. You said your young men and young women, Lord. Your old men and your old women, your spirit will fall upon all flesh. You took the limits off. You said no restriction to age or gender. And we pray, Lord, we will not put restrictions, 
Pour out your spirit, Lord, upon all flesh, O Lord. Fill your house, O Lord. From that olive tree, let the oil keep on flowing, O Lord, O Father, so that the world will know and we will know. It doesn't matter how high the mountain looks, how terrible it looks, but it is not by might. It is not by power. It is by your power, O Lord. And, O Lord, this mountain shall be moved before your people and the hands of your people will do it because the power of God will flow through the hands of your people. Move God. Move Lord. Once again we pray Lord. Move Lord. Move. Move Father. Move, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.